Well, good morning, Anchor. How we doing, guys? How we doing? How we doing? Hey, uh, I, I told the first gathering that Blessed Temple, you are giving my hands a workout. So thank you. Thank you for giving my clapping hands a workout. This is the first Sunday of Advent. And historically, Advent is a time where Jesus followers across the globe, across history. That's the cool thing about being a part of the church, right? It stretches throughout history before us. It'll go ahead of us, stretches across the globe. It takes us out of the me moment and puts us in a, a community that is bigger than us, bigger than our biases, bigger than our interests. And Advent is a time where we look forward to the manger. We join with all the Old Testament uh, people of God and look towards and anticipate the first birth of the Messiah. And we participate also in the historic longings uh, that the church has felt for the second Advent, for the coming of Jesus to come again, to make all things new and bring perfect justice. This is what Advent is. The word means approach. So it means kind of to look forward as we approach the manger, as we approach the, the day when he will make all things new, but also the approach from him to us, as he, God, takes human form for our sake. This is what Advent is, and this candle that we've lit symbolizes the first week of Advent, which is the, the week of hope. And today we're talking about this word trust, but it's a word that's connected with this word hope. You trust in what you hope for. They're words that are connected. Trust, trust, trust. You cannot get by without trust. As a pastor, I, I get to do a lot of weddings and uh, I get to walk with a lot of couples before the wedding as they prepare for not just the wedding, but the marriage. That is more important than the wedding day, you need to know. And there's these things that are said on the wedding day that for me are beautiful, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health. When the bride and the groom look at each other and say those words, they are not fully aware of what will happen in their life in the future. They can't control the outcomes. They can't control what might happen 10 years from now, 15 years from now, and even more, they can't control their spouse, though some of us have tried at certain times. So those words are words of trust. I am with you, whether there is zeros in the bank account or there is a lot of zeros with a number in front of it. I am with you if you experience pain and sickness. You can trust in me. They're words of trust. Do you know the world runs on trust? You can get in a plane because you trust the mechanics, the pilot, and the airlines. And some of you are saying, well, I've never actually thought about all that stuff before I got on a plane. It's because you trust it implicitly. You don't even have to think about it. You trust it so much. And for some of us, we're like, well, I know I, I struggle with trusting it. Well, you, you still get on. If, you, know, you can't make the trip if you don't get on. We, we trust is part of it when we pull out a piece of paper from our wallet and put it on a cashier's desk in, in, in exchange for coffee or a shirt or hello, Black Friday, that TV, come on. I don't know if we still use paper money, but, but that's a picture of trust because it's just paper. 
but people see it as more than paper because of trust. The world runs on trust. If you try to live without trust, you actually won't live. And trust is an Advent word. It's an Advent word. Because in this moment, the people of God are people that are trusting in the goodness of God, even when sometimes the world looks like the opposite. We're people of trust. We're people of hope. So today we're looking at a story from the Old Testament which is appropriate during the time of Advent because the collective, the the historical people of God were anticipating and trusting and hoping for the Messiah. It's appropriate that we go to the Old Testament. We're looking in Numbers chapter 20, and I'm going to read the verse 12 first, but I want to set the stage. See, this is a story about a man named Moses, and Moses grew up in a tough time for the Israelites. They were in Egypt, under, in slavery, under Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, and the Israelites were growing so rapidly, they were multiplying so quickly, they were like rabbits. And the Pharaoh got nervous because he was wondering if they would grow so much that there might be an insurrection, that they might overthrow him from power. So in a desperate and cruel effort to maintain his power, he said the firstborn son from every Hebrew family must die. So Moses' parents being good parents, they said, we don't want that to happen. So they made a basket out of reeds and sent him down the Nile. Can you imagine the trust in that? We don't know what will happen, but this is better than the other options. And in holy irony, Moses was found by Pharaoh's family and brought into Pharaoh's court. And Moses, this Israelite, grew up among Pharaoh's people, having opportunities for power in the court of Pharaoh. And then, in the midst of teenage brashness, realized, hey, I'm, I'm not an Egyptian And these Egyptians are treating these Israelites poorly and then one day blew up and killed a guy. Anybody ever done that? You know, (laughs) joking. If you have, uh, we have some uh, people to meet with you. (laughs) He, He went on the run and was in the wilderness for 40 years trying to escape the mistake. And in the middle of the wilderness, he met God in the burning bush and there... God said, go back to the place of shame, the place where you are running from, and free my people. So we pick up the story today when the freedom has happened, but they have not found themselves in the promised land. They're in the wilderness. And we actually see Moses fail. Moses, who has done so much right, has an epic fail. Here's the beautiful thing I love about scripture is that when we're people of the book, we're not limited to our moment. We can learn from people that have gone before us. Their failures become our lessons. So I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read the end of the story first as kind of that record scratch moment. Moses would look at the camera and say, I bet you're wondering how I got here. Let's go back. But in verse 12, we read this. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me, check that, trust in me, enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. How did we get there? 
Well, starting in verse one, we read this. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin and they stayed at Kadesh. And there Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community and the, the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. These are like, you know, angsty teenagers on the worst road trip. Like, where are we there yet? What's the deal, Moses? Moses finds himself in everyone's favorite situation. The passing of a sibling, the middle of a desert with a whole bunch of people that hate you. If I was Moses, I would have turned this opportunity into a book. I would have wrote the book called The Three Ds of Leadership, Death, Deserts, and Dissension. Um, and I think somebody would want to sell that book. I think it's marketable. Moses doesn't write that book. But let me just say, in this situation with death, deserts, and dissension, this is the place where trust is formed. Because like, let's just ask the question, where is trust formed? Where is trust formed? Trust is formed in the desert. Trust is formed in the fire. We use this word called belief. Remember the end of the Mariners season? Everybody became a Mariners fan. Everybody's stopping becoming a Seahawks fan. It's weird how this works. But at the end of the Mariners season, there was these words plastered over, you know, on cars and on our social media accounts, believe. Remember that? Believe, believe. We use this word believe. And, and oftentimes the word believe sticks to something that is abstract, conceptual for our head alone. Belief. You used to be able to, on Facebook, have religious views. I don't know if you still do that anymore. I'm not, I don't hang out on Facebook that much anymore. So uh, just, I'm free of that one. You know, I'm free. But there used to be religious views and there's always this irony between the religious views and actually how you live. Believe sometimes doesn't show up in your everyday life, but here's the thing, in the furnace, in the fire, in the wilderness, belief has an opportunity to become trust. Belief has an opportunity to become trust. Belief becomes trust in the fire. Or it doesn't become anything and you realize that there wasn't anything there. The fire, the wilderness, the experience that Moses is having there is a reckoning for reality of what the state of his life was. We don't rise to the occasion when we're in a crucial situation. We just reveal who we truly are. Okay? So Moses is in a place where that belief can become trust. For me, I'm thinking about all the moments in my personal life where trust was pivotal. And what you'll find is if you do the same, you'll find that nearly every significant moment in your life, the hinge on the door from one stage to the next was trust. Whether it's moving to one place, the desperate search for the job that you need, the marriage moment or anything else, if you look hard enough, trust is what you find there. Trust. For me, I'm thinking about two things specifically, right? you know, the, the planting of this church 
You know, we've actually spent more time under this weird COVID period of life than we actually did before. We're still young. Some of you came in for the first time. We're just over three years old as a church. And um, I remember, though, putting our couch in the U-Haul and driving to Tacoma. And for the first time, getting off Highway 18 and seeing that God-forsaken traffic from Fife to the Tacoma Dome that has no explanation other than there is an enemy and he wants us to suffer. I don't, it's, you don't have to clap for that one. Guys, I got more stuff that you can clap at. Somebody said recently, uh, be like I-5 and uh, keep working on yourself no matter how long it takes. <laughs> somebody's, somebody's using that one. Um, but here's the, here's the thing that happened is when we were packing that, that stuff up, driving that U-Haul over, like belief became trust. Where we used to live, we could say, we believe God's calling us to plant a church but the proof is in, are we willing to pack our stuff up and drive there? That's when it becomes trust, when you can't control the outcomes, when you don't know the future, but you have trust in that moment that is the thing that mobilizes you, keeps you, and sustains you. It's the moment of trust. Parents, you know this. You send your kiddo off to elementary school and you can't control what's going to happen. You send them off to college and you can't control what's going to happen. You trust. That's, what, that's, that's the moment of trust. Let me just tell you, the world runs on trust. And if you live without trust, you can't live. Here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. He says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the hardships we encountered in the province of Asia. We were under a burden far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Let me just say, some of us, sometimes we read the Bible. If we're familiar with the Bible, we read people like Paul. And we're like, how can I be like Paul? For, well, one, he never married. So, you know, if you're married, you should be looking at other models too, because that guy was just running everywhere, had a thousand hours, you know, so, but, but often this is a picture into the Paul that we oftentimes don't really pay attention to. He says, he says, I was in a tough situation. He says, I despaired even of life. And verse nine says, indeed, we've even felt ourselves under the sentence of death, but check this out in order that in order that we would not, what? Trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul saying, I was in the fire. I was in the wilderness. I was in the furnace. And God allowed me to be there so that I wouldn't trust in myself, but in God who doesn't see death as the end. He could raise that body up. The psychiatrist Gerald May expresses it poignantly where he says, I know that God is loving and that God's love is trustworthy. I know this directly through my experience. There have been plenty of times of doubt, especially when I used to believe that trusting in God's goodness meant that I would not be hurt. Anybody used to believe that? But having been hurt quite a bit, I know God's goodness goes deeper than all pleasure and pain. It embraces them both. 
Trust is formed in the wilderness. Here's something unmarketable, but true. To live a whole and free life, you have to trust. You have to trust someone else. You have to trust God. You have to trust your spouse. You have to trust your friends. You, you have to trust. If you want to live a whole and free life, you have to trust. And to trust, you have to be tested. Both of those things are true. Trust is formed in the wilderness. It is formed in the fire. It's formed when you have more questions than answers, but you also have God. That's where trust is formed. So Moses, right here at the beginning of this passage, even though we know the end where it goes, Moses is in the perfect place to develop trust. And as we look forward in the story, things move at a good, into a good spot because in verse six, it says, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting. That's the place where in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, where you wanted to meet with God, you go to the tent of meeting. Really simple titles back then. Oh, you want to meet with God? Go to the temple or the tent of meeting. Very good. And fell face down. They're recognizing their situation they're in. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so their livestock can drink. So Moses and Aaron, they go to this place. They're like, we're in a crisis situation. They're like, hey, God, death, dissension, and desert. What do we do? And God's like, have a solution for you. Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. Here's, here's, here's something we need to know. We know where trust is formed. Trust is formed in the furnace. Trust is formed in the wilderness. If you are in a wilderness moment, let me just say something that somebody else may not have said to you. It's a good spot to be in. It's a good spot to be in because, because that's the place where you can know God in a way that you didn't know God before. And without that spot, without that spot, like Paul said, I'm even wondering about life. I'm really tested here. Without that spot, you wouldn't know God in the way you can know God. Okay. So in that spot, you're invited to do what? To continue to trust. Here's, here's something that is important for us to know is that, is that when we're in the wilderness, God will not save us from having to trust in him. I'm gonna say that again because I think, I think some of you said, okay, wait, what? When we're in the wilderness, when we're in the fire, when we're in the furnace, God won't save us from having to trust in him. Can you imagine Moses getting in front of all the Israelites, the thousands of people there, and they've already been frustrated. They're already taking a, a recount on their votes of electing Moses as who, whatever leader. And then somebody says, well, we didn't elect him. God appointed him. And then, then they, you know, whatever. They're just trying to figure out how can we get a different leader that can lead us into a place where we can actually eat some food. And then they're looking at Moses and Moses is supposed to bring forth the, the thing, the big thing to get them forward so that they can get food and so that they can get water. And Moses is, is, is looking at everybody, looking at him that they don't like him. And Moses is, has a rock and he's going to like, okay, rock. It's your time to shine. Go. God gave Moses a solution, but he still made him trust in him. God could have put a spring in the middle of the Israelites' camp and said, look at there, problem solved. I think a lot of time in wilderness moments, we want God to save us from having to trust in him. 
We treat God like a helicopter parent or want him to be a helicopter parent. We're in the middle of our wilderness and he comes down and he gets rid of all the problems so that we don't have to deal with them. What if God was allowing us to deal with the obstacles so that we learned what opposition felt like so when in that moment we cried out to him and we learned to know him in a different way that we hadn't known him before. We treat him like, you know, have you heard that lawnmower parent where the parent pushes the lawnmower to get rid of all the obstacles out of the way so the kid can kind of walk on that red carpet except it's grass. You know, that's the new term, lawnmower parent. We treat God like we want him to be a lawnmower God mowing all the obstacles out of the way for us. Sometimes he's like, I want you to encounter some obstacles because that's reality in this world. And when you encounter those obstacles, you'll cry out to me and you'll know that I'm trustworthy. Untested trust is not really trust. We have to, if we're to allow trust to really deepen, we have to allow, we have to let God, not, not try, we try, we can't let, we can't ask God to save us from having to trust in him. Second is, second thing we learn in the wilderness when we're learning how to trust is he'll provide a way forward that what involves us trusting him. Some of us are in wilderness, the wilderness of estrangement. Where last year we could say, well, I just don't know, I feel comfortable for family gatherings, but this year it's a little different. Don't have that easy excuse. You can still claim it, but it's, you know, it's, it's still, it's, it's, it's a little, they, they're going to look at you differently. You know, last year was an easy excuse. This year it's a more difficult excuse. And we're in that wisdom of, a, or that wilderness of estrangement. You know, like it's some, we feel that. How do I get out of the situation? How do I keep, how do I stay away from having to really deal with, we're in a wilderness of maybe estrangement and maybe we're feeling it in the family most in moment. Some of us are in a wilderness of the financial challenges. And we know that there's pressure to buy in this season and we look in our account and we don't see the ability to and we're in a wilderness moment. Some of us are in the wilderness moments of addiction. Some of us are in the wilderness moments of marital tension or chronic pain, a wayward child, or you fill in the gaps. And in those spaces, he will never save you from having to trust in him. And he will always provide a way forward that involves you trusting him. Gosh, if this, if this would just settle into our hearts. Because I think the, the last two years we've had an option as a church, not just Anchor, but the church generally, to show the world what it looks like to be a community of trust. And I think too often, if I'm to be totally transparent, the church has grabbed for control or demonstrated anger rather than being a community of trust. Man, I, I think the Lord, over the last two years, he gave the church an opportunity to look different than the world. Yeah. I think the option is still here for us. Anchor, wouldn't it be beautiful for us to be people that we're not reaching to try to control everything. We're not getting angry and lashing out at everything. We're just a community of ruthless trust. Yeah. He's never going to save you from from having to trust in him and he'll always provide a way forward that involves you trusting in him. And Moses, as he goes forward, he finds himself in a situation that is what we can learn from to say. Verse nine says, so Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. And he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. Everything's right so far. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Notice he didn't speak to it. 
He was more attentive to the angry crowd and angry at them than he was attentive to what God had to say. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. So we know where trust is formed. How is trust proven? Trust is proven in the crucial moment where you either get to decide, will I follow God or will I trust in myself? Trust is proven at the crucial moment where we trust in God or we trust in ourselves. Now, what I want us to understand is the crucial moment does not mean some extraordinary time on our personal, you know, not like one of the things that happens like three times a lifetime. I'm not talking about those extraordinary moments. Certainly I'm talking about those, but I'm talking about more the ordinary moments. Today, you had opportunities to say yes to trusting in God or to trust in yourself. And in those ordinary moments, you're formed and prepared by trusting in God so that when the extraordinary moments, the life-changing pivotal moments happen, you align yourself with trusting in God. The crucial moment is not just the extraordinary, it's the ordinary and the extraordinary. When we have the option, we have the ability, the opportunity to trust in God. We don't see Moses doing that here. He trusts in himself. We're not given a clear answer why. I have three suggestions for why that I think we all can relate to. And the first is maybe he was trusting in past experience. Exodus chapter 17, verse six, it's interesting because God tells Moses when the Israelites are complaining again, they did a good job of complaining, but wouldn't you do the same when you were wandering in a desert? I'd be complaining. I think you'd be complaining. So Exodus chapter 17, verse six, the Israelites are complaining again and Moses talks with God and God says, hey, take the staff, strike the rock, water, you got it. So Moses here in Numbers chapter 20 was probably looking back to that past experience and saying, I, I, God, thank you. I got this one. Best practices, read the blog, had the experience, did the thing, got it. Yeah. You know, I think past experience is good, right? When I, when I take my van in to the mechanic, my Volkswagen van into the mechanic, happens less frequently than you'd think. I seem like I always get a mechanic says, well, I've never seen this one before. Like, that's not a way to build trust in, like, I don't want a mechanic saying, well, it baffles me. Like, I'm not like, why am I paying you then? You're supposed to know more than me, you know? I want a mechanic that has some past experience. I don't want a doctor that says, um, well, okay, uh, first time ever doing surgery here, but um, no, bet, good time to start. Let's all gather around and pray before we, you know, I don't want that. I mean, the prayer's great. But I want him saying, I've seen this one before, easy. That's what I want. Past experience is good. But sometimes past experience isn't the thing that gets you forward. I love what Malcolm Goldsmith is famous for saying, what got you here won't get you there. For Moses, he chooses maybe to rely on his past experience when God is saying, I want you to do something new. You could do your past experience, but that would keep you from trusting me now. I want you to see again, afresh, what it looks like when I can provide, when you trust in me. And can you imagine too, the trust that they would have in Moses as he would just speak to the rock 
and water would come out. He, God is providing Moses with an opportunity for Israel to trust in Moses, his leadership, and for Moses to trust in God, but Moses relies on maybe his past experience. Or maybe Moses is relying on unprocessed pain. Moses has an anger problem. Maybe you can relate. Exodus chapter two, that's where Moses ices that dude for hurting the Israelites and he goes on the run. And here in this situation, it's interesting. He calls them rebels. Can you imagine what the actual, you know, I feel like maybe <laughs> what it sounded like, you rebels, I, you know, I don't know. I'm a, I, maybe, I don't know. What was his tone of voice? He's angry. And then it says he struck the rock twice. And the Hebrew word for struck there is the Hebrew word for attack. So he's yelling at these people that God's called to lead and striking the rock like an attack. Sometimes the thing that keeps us from trusting God is unprocessed pain that manifests as anger. You see, some commentators believe, some commentators believe that Moses that God was giving Moses an opportunity to lead like God rather than lead like Pharaoh. You see, Pharaoh is the type of leader that will crack his staff and yell. But God is the type of leader that speaks with the tenderness of a shepherd and sees the fruition and the, and the providing. Maybe it was the anger, the unprocessed pain of anger that kept him from trusting in God. Or maybe it was just the demobilizing doubt that couldn't have been God that talk to the rock. And he's getting his head so much that he's not able to trust or find his way forward. We honestly don't know the answer why he was kept from trusting in God. But I think one of those three things we can relate to in a major way. So maybe it's actually good that we don't know because that leaves us open for us to be hit with whatever connects with what God is putting on our heart, whether it's the unprocessed pain, the demobilizing doubt, or just the relying on your own experience and past, past experiences and expertise. Trust is proven when at a crucial moment you align yourself with either God or yourself. Verse 12, it says, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proven holy among them. Here's the tension, you guys. Here's this principle. The principle is, is that God wants to bring us into things that we haven't yet experienced. He wants to lead us towards our own promised land. But God, he, we, God can't lead us where we don't trust him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is really important. God won't lead us. He can't lead us where we don't trust him. If we aren't trusting God, we, can't, we won't be led into what he is inviting us to experience. This is the principle we learned from Moses is that his trust keeps him from what God wants for him. His lack of trust, rather. And here's kind of like the bad news before the good news, is that I think, at least speaking for myself, 
I, I connect with Moses here. I know times where I've chosen to trust in self rather than God. I think we all connect with Moses. That's, while that's the bad news, the good news is that the story doesn't end with Moses and the story doesn't end with our faults. Okay? The story ends with Jesus. That's what Advent's about. You see, where, where Moses failed, Jesus didn't. Where Moses failed, Jesus didn't. Jesus found himself in the wilderness. Jesus found himself in the furnace. Jesus found himself in the fire. And when Moses failed in that crucial moment, Jesus prevailed. In the garden of Gethsemane, where he was praying, Lord, let your cup pass before the cross. He ended saying, but your will be done. But your will be done. He chose trust in God. Trust in the Father. Trust in the Spirit. Trust in the redemptive plan. Hatch from eternity past. Why? So that you might see his love. So that you might see that he's trustworthy. So that you might be reconciled to God. Band, you can come up now at this point. You see, the good news is that Jesus did what Moses never could. He lived a perfect life, dying on a cross, the death of a sinner, so that we might, sinners, become like him, perfect and perfected in him. Not that we are perfect, but in him we are, his righteousness is applied to us. And when we understand that, when we understand how loving and how trustworthy he is, we, in our moments of struggle, in our crucial moments, in our wilderness moments, in our fire moments, in our furnace moments, in those moments, we can remember that he has gone before us, that he's already been there in that painful, challenging moment, that he knows what we experience and he's made a path forward and he's demonstrated how loving and trustworthy he is. So, he, so because Jesus went before us, we can endure those crucial moments and continue to trust God. We're reminded of this uh, with communion today. When you take the come forward for communion, you're going to hear Christ's body given for you. It's for you. Christ's blood shed for you. And these words echo all the way back to the upper room where Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and said, this is my body, it's given for you. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm trusting in the redemptive plan hatched from eternity past so that you might be reconciled to a holy God. This is my bread body given for you. And this is my blood shed for you. Shed for the forgiveness of sins. So you might be here not yet a Jesus follower. I just want to invite you that today could be the day where you say yes and communion could be your first step on that path of following Jesus. Where you welcome that message deep into your heart. We also have prayer stations on the corner and we just say this every week. We don't want anyone to leave here with a prayer request that isn't prayed for. So we have prayer spots for you. If you're gluten-free, the gluten-free communion station's there in the back. And as we go into this worship, uh, I just want to pray over us. You might close your eyes, extend your hands, find, ground your feet on the ground, reminding yourself that you're here in this moment. Spirit of God, we admit we fail, but you don't. Remind us of your grace 
And let that grace be a catalyst for following you and trusting in you. May the world look in at this little community named Anchor and other churches in this area and the world and say, they have something I don't. How do they trust? What does that look like? How, how can I get there? May they say that as they look at us, Jesus followers, seeking to simply trust. We pray these things in your name.